The reading this evening is taken from John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than, uh, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Thanks very much, Jay. A lot of you will have um, worked for different uh, bosses in your lifetime. I just want to start by asking you a question, and maybe you can chat with the person next to you. Um, who was your best boss, and why? If you haven't had a boss, maybe the young people, what is your ideal of a, of a great boss? What would they look like? Just a few minutes just to chat with your neighbour. Okay, can I stop you there? Anybody want to shout out a few things? What makes, um, what makes a good boss? Um, what was it about a certain boss you maybe worked for that, um, that you enjoyed about them? What makes a good boss? Anyone want to shout out a couple of things? An encourager. An encourager, yeah. Supportive. Competent. Competent. Fair. Yeah. Sees your potential. Yeah. Somebody mentors you. Yeah. Overlooks your shortcomings, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll leave that one there, thank you. Yeah. Grace, well, let's have a look um, at a boss this evening, uh, the boss of all of us, of course, Jesus Christ. We're looking at this theme of friends with the boss. During my working um, Career and banking, I had different types of uh, boss and uh, different relationships with them. When I was working for, for Deutsche Bank, I remember as a graduate trainee going to the training center in Frankfurt for, for a week. And uh, one evening, we were privileged to have the president of the bank come and uh, spend some time with us, did a bit of a Q&A. And he arrived um, in his um, chauffeur-driven, bulletproof uh, Mercedes with his bodyguards and uh, stayed for a while before going on to his next engagement. Dr. Alfred Herrhausen was his name. And what impressed me about him was firstly his uh, amazing ability, his intellect, his communication skills. You'd ask him a question and he would immediately give you um, a very good answer. He's also keen for us as trainees to, to learn about the strategy, the vision for the bank to involve us in things. Sadly, he was um, actually assassinated a couple of years after that, I've um, got a picture coming up here. Another boss um, I worked for in Brazil, that was the, the guy I just mentioned. Uh, um, another boss I had in Brazil was um, this guy on the right, um, Professor Winston Fritch. 
He was a former professor of economics and a government, uh, government finance secretary. Um, again, incredibly well-connected, friends with the, uh, the president, and incredibly bright. Um, in that situation, the operations of the bank were smaller. Um, I was in a more senior position, and therefore I had quite a lot more to, to do with him. And so you'd be able to talk uh, strategy and other things with him. And uh, what I found out about him was not that just he was a bright guy, um, but also he was very personable. Um, to the extent that Ash invited um, us as a family, including our two toddlers at the time, to, uh, to his home in, uh, in the hills surrounding Rio. I wouldn't have dared address the first boss on the left there um, in any other way than Dr. Herrhausen. Um, on the right-hand side, he could call him Winston. I wouldn't have said necessarily that he was a friend, but there was certainly a very different relationship working relationship with him. It was a much closer relationship. We're doing, as you know, a short series on serving with joy. And last week we looked at our motivation for serving. We looked at some wrong motivations. If you were here, you may recall trying to be good enough for Jesus, trying to get something in return from him, and maybe even trying to pay him back. And we also looked at the right motivation, understanding that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we talked about how knowing how much he loved us should be more than sufficient motivation for us to love him and express that love in service for him. Well, this evening we're looking at the nature of our relationship with Jesus Given that he has paid the ransom for our life, and he's paid that with his own life, how does that change our relationship? Yes, he is our Lord, our Master. He's God of the universe. But the question that's asked of many bosses is, um, what is he like to work for? How do we relate to him? And this is quite radical and makes Christianity unlike any other religion. So let's turn back to John 15, which um, Joe read for us. Have a look halfway down there. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Well, the first incredible thing we read here is that Jesus is our friend. What is the difference between a servant and a friend? Well, you love your friends. And the greatest act of love, as it says here, is to lay down one's life for one's friends. This guy on the screen here you may recognize him. He received the Victoria Cross earlier this year, one of the few people to receive it um, who is still alive. His name is Lieutenant Corporal Josh Leakey. And um, he received it for what he did in Afghanistan. He was a paratrooper. And uh, there was a situation where they came out of their helicopters and very quickly came under attack by the, the insurgents. And uh, they were surrounded by about 20 of them. And... Uh, Despite the enemy fire, they had their machine guns, their rocket-propelled grenades. Um, he ran to the top of a hill, 
uh, to assess the situation, and he came to the help of an injured American soldier there and provided first aid to him. He then ran back up the hill to reposition the machine gun, um, began firing, even though bullets were coming in from everywhere. Um, and he did that again. He went back to help the wounded soldier, and he eventually managed to, to take their initiative in that, that combat. Now, after receiving his medal, he said to the BBC this, he said, in that particular incident, I was in the best position to do what I did. If it had been any of my mates, they would be in this position now. I don't look at it being about me in particular. I look at this as representing everyone from my unit, from my battalion, who was involved in the campaign in Afghanistan. Soldiers risk their lives every time they go out on active duty. And yes, they do it for their country. But if you ask them why they do specific acts of bravery, they'll tell you it's for the other men in their patrol. It's for their, their friends, their mates. And that is the sort of relationship that Jesus has with his followers. They are his friends for whom he's willing to lay down his life, which is what he did. And that should affect our attitude to serving him. If he was just our boss... Our Lord, we may be motivated to serve him, to, to impress him, to, to make him like us, to make him reward us. When he's our friend, we don't need to impress him because friends accept one another as they are. They love one another. And friends want to serve one another because they love one another. That is why it says here, love each other as I have loved you. Because he wants us to have that same relationship with our fellow believers, to be able to serve one another out of love. Jesus is our friend. But what does that mean when it comes to, just to working with someone? How can you be friends with the boss? Well, it means also that Jesus is our colleague. I'm sure we've uh, all been in jobs at some time where we um, have been told what to do, and we're just expected to get on and do it. Don't ask questions, just do what you're told. Um, that's what you get paid for. What is that relationship? Well, that relationship is master-servant, isn't it? It's the sort of relationship you see in the programs like Downton Abbey, where there were servants downstairs and the masters upstairs. Um, you knew where you stood. And there are still those relationships today in, in, in business, where in many companies where there are bosses, and there are workers where the workers are just told to go and get on with their job, and they will receive a paycheck at the end of the month. They may not actually know where their role that they are doing or the thing that they are making actually fits into the bigger picture. Well, Jesus' relationship with his followers is very different. Jesus says here, have a look, verse 14, "'You are my friends if you do what I command.'" Okay, so it's clear that he's the boss, which is fair enough. He's the maker of the universe, after all, the one who gave us life. But look at how he goes on. He goes, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. He's just told to get on and do the job. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So the difference here is that a friend knows his master's business. 
So part of what it means to be friends with Jesus is that he's made known, he's explained to us everything we need to know. He's led us into the Father's secrets. There is a transparency here. We're working together. Some people have the idea that Christianity is really just about a set of rules we have to follow because God says so. You can't do that because God says that it's wrong. Just do what you're told and don't ask why. A bit like in the famous uh, charge of the, the Light Brigade in the, uh, the Crimean War when British cavalry, there were about 700 horses and their riders who were ordered to charge straight at some Russian cannons. They suffered severe casualties. Um, nearly half of them were killed or wounded. And uh, the poet Alfred Tennyson later wrote a poem about the attack which included these lines. Says, there's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. A Christian service can be portrayed like this, can't it? If we simply obey God without understanding why, we're just servants. But we're told here we're much more than this, we're friends. And the difference is we're close to our master and we've had things explained to us. And Jesus didn't just explain things to his disciples as the inner circle. He made sure that they wrote it down. He gave them his spirit to make sure they recorded it correctly so that we too today can read what he wants us to know in his word. Information that God reveals to us is his truth. And this truth is not just a set of facts which um, we need to swat up on to, to pass an exam. It's about relationships. In the previous chapter in John, Jesus describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person. And so everything that we're told about by him is not every fact about everything, everywhere. It's all we need to know in order to relate to God. Jesus tells us that his Father loves us and that he loves us enough to rescue us, to guide us, to change us. He tells us how he's going to achieve that, as we looked at this morning, through Jesus' death and resurrection. He tells us about God's plan of salvation for humankind. He also tells us how to make sense of things in this life, how to to live the Christian life, how we are to behave as his followers, and how he gives us certain instructions for that. For example, it doesn't just say, give me your money. You are my servant, give me your money. He talks about the joy, the privilege of giving to, to help others. He talks about how giving frees us from being slaves to the love of money, the disappointment that money brings. He talks about how God provides for everything that we we need, how he frees us from the the worry about money. He describes the joy of investing into eternal things rather than the treasures of this world which will rot and decay. Now, we may not know the reason for everything that happens to us in this life, but because God shares with us everything we need to know, he's brought us into our master's business. We can trust him for the stuff 
that uh, we don't understand. We trust him as a friend who will make sure that it is for our good. We're colleagues striving for the same aim that God has chosen us to do his work. As it says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so he also equips us. He gives us what we need to do the job. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What does that look like in practice? What difference does this make in practice, being a, um, a colleague of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, rather than just a servant who does what he's told, who acts out of duty, doesn't know what he's doing, how that fits into the bigger picture. Let's take a practical example. Take an opportunity to serve. Don't want to embarrass um, Grant here, but I will do. Uh, babysitting for Grant and Claudine is uh, an opportunity. It's something which um, would help them to free both Grant and Claudine to, uh, to, to lead the rarer group on a Tuesday evening. I know some of you have um, helped in that way in the past. Now, there are two ways you could look at this. They've asked for some help. Um, you need to do something in the help to help in the church. Um, you're free that night. It's not too demanding. Children will probably be in bed. Lovely children anyway. Um, you can watch a bit of TV, get on with something else you need to do. Um, I'm sure the fridge is full as well. Um, it's not going to put you out too much. You could look at it that way. Or you could look at it in another way. You could look at it and see the importance of youth work in the church. You've seen the passion that Grant and Claudine have for uh, the young people, how well they work together. You've seen young people being baptised in the church. You've heard testimonies of how they've uh, come to faith and how, how attending the rarer group helped them in that process. And you're now praying for them as they go off to university. And so while you're babysitting, you, the children are asleep, um, you're praying for the young people that evening. And when Grant and Claudine come home, you ask them how it went and how you can pray for them during the week. You rejoice when you hear good news about the group. You thank God for the privilege of helping his work in this way. One attitude is working as a servant. The other is working as a colleague and a friend. So we serve Jesus as our friend, as our colleague, and finally as our brother. Last week we looked briefly at the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son, when we were talking about wrong attitudes to, to serving. Let's go, let's go back there and look at another truth. And this is Luke 15. Um, let's quickly turn to the back a, a few pages in your Bibles. Luke 15, verse 14. read that first bit from verse 14. After he, that's the younger brother, had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out 
and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. The younger son has taken his father's money. He's treated him as if he were dead already. Basically, he said he wants no relationship with him. He's gone off and spent the money. He later realizes he's actually acted pretty terribly towards his, uh, his father. He no longer has the right to be treated as his son. But he thinks maybe his father will still have enough compassion to have him back as a servant. At least he'd be better off as his father's servant than feeding the pigs where there's, he's just starving. So off he goes. And he gets quite a surprise when he arrives back because his father comes out to greet him. And what we see is he's not prepared to take him back as a servant. But he is prepared to take him back as his son. Let's see what happens. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son starts to give the speech he's prepared, the, uh, the apology, but he doesn't even get to the end before his father interrupts him. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, he says. But the father calls for a robe to put on him, not a robe for a servant, a robe for a son. Puts a ring on him, a, finger, a ring on his finger as a sign of love, a sign of authority. And he calls for a great celebration. And he says those words which the son never thought he would hear again. This son of mine. It's a parable that describes the relationship that we can all have with God. None of us deserves to be his son. But as we come to him in repentance, saying sorry for the ways in which we have rejected him, he declares, you are my son. Before all the younger son was interested in was his father's money, his stuff, so that he could go off and do what he wanted. But now what he sees he needs is his father's love. We're not told what life is like from then on, but you can imagine, can't you, that this son would have a completely different attitude to his service. The previous day he was working with the pigs. He was just literally a servant. The most he'd hoped for was to be a servant of his father. But now he's working alongside his father as a colleague and a son. How does that affect our service to know that we are a son of the father and a brother of Jesus? Our son Zach has a photo 
in his bedroom of him pushing a small wheelbarrow when uh, I think he was probably about three with, uh, with my dad. I'm not sure how much his efforts would have helped his granddad in the garden that day. Um, but it wasn't the workload, the productivity that would have been important, but the fact that he was working alongside him. It was a relationship that they were enjoying. We read last week from, from Acts that uh, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. What God delights in most is not our service, not what we think we can do for him, not putting in all the hours in, in joyless duty. It's our love for him and our joy in him and in his son. Next week, we're going to be looking at how we can identify our gifts and how we can serve him. But let's never forget this at the end here. God is less interested in what we do to serve him than in how we relate to him when we serve him. Let's think first about our relationship with him. Do we enjoy that, that intimacy where we can bring him our thoughts, our worries, our desires, where we can get to know him more deeply as a friend, as a colleague, as a brother? Do we feel we are working alongside him, sharing the same goals as we seek to glorify God? Let's not forget that he is the boss. He is God. That we should honor him, we should revere him. But let's also appreciate the privilege of having Jesus as our friend, our colleague, and our brother.